pray with me. Lord, we come before you asking that you would do the very things we just sung. Lord, that you would help us to call out that blessed is your name, no matter what has come our direction, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. That even in our last song, that Lord, you would teach us to abide in you, that we would see our dependency upon you, that we would cling more closely to you, realizing that you hold us in your sovereign hands, and your grace is sufficient to help us in time of need. Father, we thank you for drawing us together for worship this morning. We pray that you would help us, Lord, as we continue to worship you. Father, we ask also that you'd be with other churches in our area, uh, that you would continue to be with them. We lift up Big Laurel Christian Union Church this morning, that you would be with them, that you would make yourself known uh, in their midst, Lord, and that you would bless them through the preaching of the word, and Lord, in their community, that you would help them to be faithful to share the gospel. Father, we lift up other churches within the Reformed Baptist Network. We thank you for Iglesia Evangelica de la Gracia that you would be with them, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in the Spanish-speaking world, not just in our own country, but uh, in uh, the Caribbean and in South America and in Central America. We ask that you would continue your work uh, as we see more uh, Reformed uh, Baptist churches planted and uh, by your grace that your gospel goes forth. Uh, we thank you for this network. We lift them to you. We pray that you would protect this network and our fellowship that uh, you would continue uh, to accomplish your purposes for your glory. Father, we lift up the persecuted church this morning. We know that we are a very blessed people, Lord, to uh, not fear uh, reprisals from our government this morning. Uh, we are a very blessed people, and we don't want to take that for granted. We thank you for that. But we lift up the persecuted church in Turkey uh, this morning, that you would be with them, that you would give uh, boldness to believers there to share their faith despite uh, laws that would uh, inhibit uh, the sharing of the gospel uh, for those that have been arrested and wrongly imprisoned, that you would be with them, that you would meet them in their hour of need, uh, even in prison. And for those who have laid down their lives, that Lord, you would uh, be with them and their families. Father, that you would be with those that are uh, being persecuted even uh, to death, that Lord, you would give them boldness to stand for you and finish well. God, we know these things are a reality, and we're shocked to hear them in the news sometimes, but they're foreign to us, and uh, we thank you for their stand of faith that, encourage our heart, that encourages our hearts. Father, in light of that, we thank you for 247 years that this country has experienced uh, that kind of freedom. And Lord, we know that uh, for freedom to continue, that uh, is a continual battle. And Lord, uh, we're humbled by the grace that you have shown this country when we so high-handedly sin against you. We are humbled that you continue to bless when we have cursed your name. We are humbled by the freedom that you have instilled in uh, the very laws that rule this land when we have abandoned you. Lord, we are humbled by the grace that you pour out upon us when uh, this country has forsaken uh, its foundations. Uh, Father, we ask that you would forgive, um, that you would help us as believers, Lord, to seek the good of our country, 
to be good citizens, to use these freedoms to advance the gospel and not to grow weary in doing good or to fall asleep on watch. So Lord, help us as believers in this country to fight well uh, in that way. Uh, because Lord, ultimately that freedom comes from you. And so help us to be uh, the best Christians we can be, uh, not just Americans. And so we ask for your help there. Father, we lift up uh, believers and um, others in, the, in, in eastern um, Africa, Lord. We think of the Sudan crisis going on, that you would be uh, with them. Uh, we continue to pray, Lord, for your church in Ukraine and for Russia. Uh, Lord, in the midst of this war, that you would accomplish your purposes, that you would comfort the grieving, that you would um, be with your church in both countries, that you would uh, strengthen them, Lord, and help them. Uh, in their time of need. Father, we lift up uh, refugees in various places around the globe that you would meet their needs. We know that you hear the cry of those who are suffering, that you would be with them. Father, closer to home, we pray for those that are grieving still in our own fellowship and in our community. We continue to lift up uh, the Lawrences, Lord, as they grieve the loss of uh, Ken's sister, Paulette, uh, that you'd continue to be with them. We continue to pray for the Brown family as they grieve the loss of Cade, as that is still fresh, Lord, in this community, that you would be with them, Father, for many of those that have lost uh, houses and family members in the recent tornadoes and severe weather across our country, that you would comfort them, that your church in those places would meet those needs. Father, we pray for Tom and Susie's uh, cousin, Lord Mary Beth, as she grieves the loss of her husband thank you for uh, taking Tom and Susie up to Chicago and back this last week, that you would uh, comfort the family uh, after that death, and uh, Lord, that you would comfort in a way that only you can. Lord, we also rejoice. We thank you for Joelle's uh, uh, safe delivery several weeks ago, that you would continue to give grace to Atlas as he strengthens, Lord. Uh, thank you for Tony and Joelle and all that you're doing in their lives. We uh, thank you for our expectant mothers as well. Uh, for Ellie and Sarah, that, Lord, you would be with the children in their wombs, uh, that you would uh, give them good pregnancies, healthy pregnancies, and healthy deliveries, we pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, children and the blessing that they are, and so we ask that you would uh, be with these families, Lord, as they prepare for these uh, new things. Father, we pray for many that are continuing to heal. We uh, think of uh, Lloyd, Lord. We pray that you would continue to give him grace, Lord, as he heals from surgery several weeks back. Danny Richardson, Lord, after cancer surgery. Uh, David Lemire's mother, Lord, as she continues to heal from her surgery after her fall a couple weeks back. Uh, for David's wife as well, Lisa, Lord, as she uh, undergoes uh, cancer treatment this next week and gets some spots removed, that you would be with her. Father, for Hunter, Lord, as his wrist continues to heal and that you would strengthen that bone, Lord, and that uh, he would be able to get that cast off soon. Father, for John Cordy, Lord, our, the RBNet missionary that we've been praying for and the, the heavy weight of uh, hearing that he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, that, Lord, you would be with him and Bethana, Lord, as they um, start a new path, Lord, for uh, dealing with this cancer. Lord, we are very much uh, excited about having John here to preach in just a few weeks, and I know that he's discouraged, and we're discouraged to hear this news, but Lord, would you strengthen John? Lord, would you be with their home church, 
um, Grace Baptist down in Taylor, South Carolina, Lord, as their pastors uh, reach out and care for them and the overwhelming support that they're receiving. Father, that you would continue the work uh, amongst the Tohono O'odham uh, people, Lord, as um, John and Bethana have given their lives to see a church planted there and for believers to be raised up out of that Native American tribe, that, God, you would give strength to the church there and for those sharing the gospel. Father, we lift up Christine Grabiel, Lord, as she was diagnosed with cancer this week, and, Lord, that you would give her strength, and Paul, Lord, as they start this journey together. Father, that you would help us as a congregation to love them well and to encourage them, and, Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon her. Lord, we know that uh, you are the great physician, but give them wisdom, give the doctors wisdom, Lord, as they uh, begin this journey. Uh, we pray that you'd be with them. Father, for Kitty Lawrence, as she took a fall this week, that you would heal her, you would be with her, Lord. Uh, Father, for our members in transition, uh, in various places, those that are traveling, Father, we lift all these requests to you. Finally, Lord, would you be with our church plant down in uh, Wilkesboro? We thank you for Christ alone. We thank you for Pastor Tim. Lord, um, thank you for helping him this week with chest pain um, and that he got that checked out. Lord, we just lift him to you as he um, undergoes a heart catheterization uh, next Wednesday, that you would be with him and Cindy as they uh, feel the weight of their um, bodies just um, giving way in some ways, Lord, that you would strengthen them and the congregation there, Lord, as they give themselves uh, to them. Father, uh, help them, we pray. Lord, we lift these requests to you. We're confident that they are able to be um, had by you, that you will work your will in our lives, and we trust you. So help us now as we continue in worship, and uh, we give these things to you, asking that you would help us to look to you as our treasure and our prize. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. We are glad you are here to worship with us. We're finally getting some summer weather. Uh, we're drying out a little bit, so this is uh, good. Uh, we're glad to uh, see you all uh, this morning. Uh, as promised, I'm behind on uh, talking uh, about our children's bulletins, and we've had several that we have um, uh, got and wanted to follow up. We're continuing our study in Genesis, and so one of the questions that was asked last week was, how was uh, Ishmael, Sarai's son, when Hagar bore him? It's a very good question. Well, as we looked at that passage last week, uh, Sarai gave uh, Hagar to uh, Abram uh, and gave her permission, as it were, to marry her. And what we talk about this in the Old Testament versus uh, even some places in our world today is what you would call polygamy versus monogamy. And while it was normally practiced in that part of the world at that time, it was not something that God prescribed. And so we know that from the book of Genesis, from the very foundation, that God provided Adam a wife. And so monogamy was uh, the, the norm for God's people from the very beginning. And yet at the same time, we see in this situation, the very purpose of last week's message was that uh, uh, Sarah was not doing this in faith. She was seeing this as a human solution to really try to uh, accomplish what God had promised by her own means. And that was really the application of our uh, look at Genesis 16 last week, that this was an attempt to accomplish God's will in our way. 
And so uh, this was not uh, normal. So in that sense, she was seen as bearing a son towards the family, not just uh, his son by um, Hagar. So that's a very good question. And so thank you for, for asking that. That was, that was very, uh, very intuitive to ask that question. Uh, and perhaps your parents can uh, answer that in fuller form. Second question that came uh, from the children's bulletins last week was, why are not males circumcised now? Well, uh, wonderful uh, question, and um, I'm thankful that we're actually looking at that in the, in the sense of our scriptures, but I would also encourage you to talk to your parents about this <laughs> in a larger form. But one of the things that I love about children's questions is they're just so honest. And one of the beautiful things about the scriptures that I think that we need to be uh, doing more of in our world today is that the Bible speaks of our sexuality. It speaks of things like this that are private in nature, but we can see God's working in our lives in very powerful ways. So the quick answer to this is that males are sometimes circumcised today, uh, especially in uh, those that are following and uh, identifying as Jews. It's still very much a sign because the short answer to this that many Jews today are following the Old Testament. They don't receive Jesus as the Messiah, but they do look back to the Old Testament as their rule of faith and life. And so they very much are following this covenant that we're studying today. However, some even pagans, those who are not even looking to Christ or aren't even Jewish, continue to practice circumcision. But again, I would point you to your parents to give you the more details on that, but we will look at that in today's message. So it was a great question. I didn't want to shy away from it, um, and it certainly puts me on the spot. So uh, we are thankful for those questions. Uh, you have those, and parents, uh, those of you who try to guard or your questions as children's questions, I know what you're doing. And so I will uh, continue to answer those and... Uh, and uh, do my best to catch up because I'm behind on that. So we are glad uh, to, to have everybody here this morning. Good to see some familiar faces and uh, glad uh, that we are here to worship. Can we turn to God's word together? Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. For those people that are walking uh, slowly with us through Genesis, you know that it's been a journey for us. It's a long journey through this book, uh, we are now 33, 30, almost 34% of the way to the book of Genesis. So you can be encouraged. So uh, as we go to God's word, would you stand with me as we read his word? I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. This is God's word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, 
and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I shall establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Your, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Have you ever, ever had to wait? Perhaps waiting for an appointment, waiting for your tax return. Perhaps you're waiting for the light to change or waiting for someone to handle a four-way stop in West Jefferson during Christmas in July. Maybe you have learned to wait in other more serious ways, waiting on God to touch you in a particular way, to heal you from a particular uh, struggle that you're having. We see in our text this constant waiting that Abram and his wife Sarai had to deal with over the course of a long period of time. I was greeted coming home just the other day by my own young son that I will not put on the spot, and he said these words, Dad, there's simply not enough popsicles in this home. <laughs> and he's right, because he's been eating them all. And he had a trouble waiting upon another delivery of frozen delights. I relate to that as a believer waiting upon the Lord in a larger way that we want God to act now. We want God to fulfill what he has said to us in his word now. We long for the second coming of Christ, just as those saints in the Old Testament here in the book of Genesis were waiting on the coming of a Messiah. And not only were they waiting, they waited their whole lives and not able to see some of the things that were promised. This is the story of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. As we look at this text this morning, we see that God is continuing to work as he unfolds this covenant with Abram. And that we know that in the context of covenant, as we've seen from the very book of Genesis as a whole, that the author Moses 
is having us to understand that as God deals with people, specifically his people, that he is calling out from this world, he's making connection through covenant. He does this in an amazing way. He is always the one initiating, and yet it has different signs. It has different terms, as we've seen. We saw that in the Adamic covenant in Genesis chapter 3. We've seen this in his dealings with Noah in the Noahic covenant and the sign of the bow in the clouds. We see that now as he was dealing with the world in judgment that he has now worked with Abram and he has drawn close to Abram to deal with him in the context of covenant. And we've been studying that over the last few chapters. But here we see a continuing on. We've looked at Abram's journey and his struggle. We see his failings of faith when he went to Egypt, when he returned and had to fight the different battles that he fought in delivering Lot from his kidnapping. Then we looked at his uh, failure of faith in chapter 16 as he took uh, Hagar, and they assumed that this is how God maybe would raise up offspring when it was not how God was working and dealing with the results of these fleshly decisions versus following God in faith and what he had promised. Do you struggle with waiting upon the Lord, waiting for his answer in his time, in his way to accomplish in you what is good, not just for you, but also for his glory? Well, as we look at this text this morning, I think we're going to see this in uh, really four ways in Abram's life, and this continues on to the rest of chapter 17, but it's too big of a chunk for us to swallow in one message. So we'll look at uh, this contrast between what God is doing in Abram and Sarai now, and then ultimately what uh, brings forth in Isaac's birth a year from this point. And so we'll pick up with that next week. But let's look at this text in four points. First of all, we see that God appears again to Abram. So we see this appearing that we want to look at in this conversation between Abram and God himself. Secondly, we'll notice that Abram responds in a particular way before the Lord. And then thirdly, there's an announcement of the covenant terms that God continues to pour forth uh, uh, in his uh, revelatory conversations with Abram in verses 4 through 8. And then lastly, he brings assurance and the importance of this sign of the covenant of circumcision. So there's a big uh, chunk here, but I think it's important for us to see this in the context of what we've been looking at in the book of Genesis. So let's jump right in. Look at verse 1 here. When he comes to Abram, notice how old Abram is. We don't want to lose sight of this because God has put it in his word as extremely important to help us to understand what he's accomplishing in Abram's life. If you look back to uh, chapter 16, the last uh, verse in verse 16, it says Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And now, right here chronologically, we see that when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and says what he does here. Have you ever felt like you've waited a long time? Well, Abram had. And notice that he is now 99 years old. I don't think we have any 99-year-olds here this morning, but we would all agree, and they would probably agree they're old. But even in the context 
of this, we see God's faithfulness in the age-appropriate ways that God is constantly leading us to himself. That old age itself is not a reason to lack faith. It's not a reason for us just to assume that there's another answer to our cries of our hearts. In fact, the very author Moses didn't even begin his walk with the Lord until he was 80. He spent his youth running from the Lord ultimately. And we see his uh, wanderings in the desert between 40 and 80. So it's very interesting here that the scriptures and by the, by the inspiration of the Spirit brings this to light that we have had 13 more years pass between chapter 16 and chapter 17. And notice that God again initiates a conversation with Abram. Notice what he says. I am God Almighty. You know, when we are and have a, 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 a meeting of the Lord when he is appearing in the Old Testament. We don't see this in the English language, but in Hebrew, his name mentioned here is El Shaddai, that this is God Almighty. And God is revealing himself in a multiplicity of ways as he reveals himself as Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. He is speaking in just the way that he initiates the conversation, that he is God Almighty. He is able to do everything and anything. And why is that important? Well, in context to what we studied last week in chapter 16, the question comes up is, where is this child of promise going to come? From the very genealogies of earlier in Genesis, it is underlined the fact that Sarah was barren, that she could not bear children. Therefore, how in the world is God going to accomplish this seemingly impossible task of bringing fruit and a great multitude into Abram's uh, side? And yet God is God Almighty. Have you ever questioned how in the Lord how in the word, world, Lord, are you going to sanctify me? How in the, word, in the world, Lord, are you going to establish your word in my life? In, in what ways are you going to accomplish that which I see in your word? Have you asked questions before the Lord? The Psalms are full of them. Oh God, how long? Oh God, how long should I wait for your coming? How long until you answer the pleas of my prayers? How long, O oh God, until you see my suffering? Have you ever felt that your prayers are just hitting the ceiling? You're not alone. Abram knew what it was like, and his life is laid out before us on the pages of this narrative, that he struggled to believe the Lord, and yet all throughout we see a walk of faith. Yes, we see his stumbling, and his lack of faith at times, but ultimately, he's got a Godward trajectory, and we ought to be encouraged from this, because I think we can all relate. We are not walking perfectly after the Lord. We would all love to say that we have a 100% track record of trusting God in every circumstance by faith, and yet we know as good Reformed believers that God is the one sanctifying us, but we very much know that this is something that God is working in us 
to obey and walk more closely with him. And so as we look at this text this morning, what comes out at us is, again, this reality that God is uh, coming to him. He's appearing to him. He's reminding him that no matter what you think and no matter what you and Sarai think, and you think that you're going to solve this by human means, by giving Hagar and taking Hagar as your wife and bearing a child, and we see that God appears and even uh, helps Hagar in her suffering in the sense of all this tragedy that has happened in this family, yet he calls her to submit again to Sarah, that God comes along and appears to the leader of this household and reminds Abram once again, I am God Almighty. And dear believer, you should be encouraged this morning that no matter what your circumstance, no matter what God has brought into your life or taken out of your life, that God is there. He is in authority. He is looking over your circumstances and he has brought them to you because he loves you. And it doesn't always feel that way. Because oftentimes we feel abandoned by God. And again, you find your solace even in the Psalms that David and many other uh, hymn writers and psalmists over the centuries have expressed that same concern and feel. Perhaps that's you, how you feel this morning, that God has somehow abandon you, that you're struggling and your faith is holding on what you feel like just threads. Be encouraged, dear friend, that he will not drop you. He will keep you if you are truly his. So God appears to him. He initiates the relationship with Abram. But secondly, look at Abram's response here in verse 3. Now prior to that, notice he is saying, because he is God Almighty, that he was called to walk before him and to be blameless. That is not the first time we've seen that term in Genesis. Remember when we looked at Noah? Noah was seen as blameless. Again, our connection between the covenants and how we are seen in God is important. He's calling him to live out what he's already in in the context of covenant. We will come back to that at the end to see how we are to look at ourselves in our relationship with God. But notice he says that he's establishing this covenant between himself, God, and you, Abram, that he would multiply him greatly. Again, underlining the very promise that was being questioned in chapter 16. Should we just go through Hagar and produce uh, this child. And so we see now in verse 2 that he would make his covenant and that he would do this. So here it is that Abram responds. Now we don't have a lot of words here about what was going on in Abram's heart, but we see his posture before God. Look at verse 3. When then Abram fell on his face. Church, this is the posture of worship. This is the posture of humility before a holy God. This is a posture when we realize that we've sinned against the Almighty. This is the posture that we are called to as his people as he seeks to fulfill his promises in and through his people. It's worship. 
Worship, by its very definition, is that it is looking to one who is worthy, who shows that worth or that value that we are giving to, and that is the only one worthy for us to bow before, to be completely prostrate before. That God is worthy of our worship. And notice that this is the context of covenant, that he falls on his face. And isn't it interesting that in the context of worship, in the context of this great humble response, this is when God continues his conversation with him. Church, no matter if you're in a time of joy right now or a time of grief, it's never, ever a bad time to worship. God calls us to worship in every season. You know, Paul calls us to rejoice. Uh, Again, I say rejoice. Even in his prison epistles and some of the darkest human hours that he might have experienced, he was worshiping. The apostles, uh, as they were imprisoned in the book of Acts, they counted it uh, a joy to suffer for his namesake, and they sang psalms and hymns in prison. Church, there is a time to worship the Lord, and that time is all the time, regardless of what we're going through. And so Abram models true worship in the context of covenant. And so God says in verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, if we go back, and we don't have time to go through every chapter, but ever since chapter 12, God has been reiterating this with in his conversations with Abram. He's been reminding him, this is what I'm doing. And remember, there was a four-part promise that ultimately God was going to accomplish. He was going to give him a nation, um, that he was going to make a nation out of him. He was going to use him as a blessing to all people. He was going to give him the land, which was in question in chapter 14 and 15 with these other people that are living there. And we also see that God is going to bring from his own body, this very promised son that ultimately would turn into a multitude. So God is reiterating not just the terms of the covenant here, but the very promises that he made to him in chapter 12. So it's in this context that he reminds him that you are going to be a father of a multitude of nations. Have you ever seen that in God's word? He continues to teach us something until we get it. It's so refreshing and should be refreshing to our souls that God works through the preaching of his word. And he does this in such a way as to not ignore the very challenges that are, we are seeing as he teaches us. In fact, we might see this in a way um, as we're studying in our own private time versus what we're hearing preached uh, in, in other settings throughout our week, or when we're hearing the preaching of the word each Lord's Day as we gather, that God is speaking to us. There was one time many years ago, I was at a Nine Marks conference, and I heard a particular preacher preach a fabulous, God-centered, awesome message on worship. And I was humbled by it from the book of Isaiah. And I was just in awe of what the Lord was teaching me. I took notes. I meditated on it. I, I did pray about it. And I, I put it in my, my notebook. 
and, and off I went. Well, six weeks later, I found myself in Birmingham, Alabama at a separate conference, and the pastor gets up to share a session, and he opens the same passage of Scripture and preaches a very similar message because if you're an expositor, you're going to hear the same message because the point of the text is the point of the passage, and the point of the message comes out of the text. And again, the words of worship and response came right out of that text again to me a second time. And I said, wow, Lord, what are you teaching me? I'm listening. And so in the context of our own lives, God is speaking. And he continues to do this with Abram. He says, no longer shall your name be called Abram. In other words, we're taking this in a way that I'm going to not just reveal my covenant to you, but now it is very personal. I want you to identify with this covenant, which is ultimately identifying with me and my name. And notice that the uh, point of this is a name change. And we see multiple things going on here. We see really that he's being challenged in three different ways. The first of which here in verse five is a name change. Now, Sarai's name is going to be changed to Sarah as well. But notice here in verse five, he's going to be changed from Abram to Abraham. Now, Abraham, we know from this text, ultimately means being the father of a multitude. He's not just being an exalted father, but a father of many nations. In other words, this covenant is going to have such lasting effects, it's going to be so constantly before you that I'm changing your name, Abram. In fact, in other parts of the world today, especially in the Muslim-speaking uh, world, area, or uh, believing world, uh, many that come to faith in Christ still practice this. They change their name to a Christian name because their name identifies them with the God that they serve. We don't see that as much in the Western world, but we do have the truth from Scripture that when we become Christians, this is the very meaning of the term Christian. We are identified with Christ. We are now identifying as his children. So yes, our identity is changed. Why? Because we've gone from death to life. And who is it that brought life? It is Christ himself. He indwells us. We are his temple. We are identified with him. Whether we are struggling with that identity or not in the sense of our own sin, God has called us to be his children. And so we are identified with Christ. And so he says, your name shall be called Abraham. And notice the reason for this name change at the end of verse 5. For I, God, have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Isn't this, again, teach us the great theology that God is the one who is working, that God is accomplishing his purposes in and through us. In his promises, ultimately, it's about his glory, but he's using it, us in our lives, in every generation, as a conduit for his mercy and for his redemptive power that he displays to the world. And so we see he is underlining this very truth in contrast to what happened in chapter 16, that the low issues of our lives that are bearing fruit of our own fleshly decisions, in contrast to that, is God's continued work in us and through us despite that. We see God's grace here. We see God's continuing sovereign hand in our lives despite our own sin. And so in verse 6, 
we see here multiple statements that God makes from verses 6 through verse 8 where he says, I will. And you should underline those because when God says he's going to do something, he does it. But as we know from the context of Genesis, it doesn't mean he's going to do it on our time scale, but he will do it. He promised he would do it. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will, verse 8, give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Something that we can be encouraged about is that God's word can be trusted. His word is constantly before us, but time and time again we see that he is faithful, that he is able to accomplish in us that which he has promised and I think the questions of our own walks with the Lord and the stumblings of our own flesh is this very truth. Is not every act of sin preceded by a question of whether God is able to deliver us from such trials? Is God able to be our supreme treasure that we don't have to find it in our own sin? Is God able to help us when we are tempted in a variety of ways as his people? Are we like Christian in the great work of John Bunyan, walking towards the celestial city, and are we giving in to the voices that surround us rather than listening to his voice on that path? Well, God is working. And so we see these now announcements in our third point of these covenant terms that God is drawing near to Abram and fleshing this out more literally on how Abram can know and understand what God is doing. So in verse 9, he says, God says to Abram, this is a second time of these uh, conversations, he says, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. Again, there's almost a parallel here. The author Moses writing that God is a God of covenants. And we see here this deep theology that God is relating to his people through covenants. And he says, you shall keep it, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. In other words, this is something that's going to be beginning now, but it's going to be continual. We know that in the context of the promise that God made to Abram, that this would be something that would not completely be fulfilled in Abram's lifetime. While certain things would happen, like the birth of Isaac and really the establishment of God's people growing here in the Middle East, we would then see that this takes place over the course of the book of Genesis. In fact, it's the narrative of Genesis, God fulfilling his promises. And so in verse 10, he says, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. And then he shows the sign of the covenant. Remember, we've seen signs of the covenant all the way through the scriptures thus far. He says, every male among you shall be circumcised. So God's work in the very uh, working of his covenant and very definition of covenant is literally a cutting of the covenant, which actually refers to not just the sacrificial system that, that animals would be sacrificed, that blood would be shed, but isn't it interesting that the 
choice that God has for a sign of this covenant would be on the most sensitive, most private part of a male human being, that he should be circumcised. It's very interesting that as God does this, this cutting that's going to happen is ultimately on the very appendage that God created to use as the production channel for offspring. That this covenant that's being cut, this sign, is a reminder that God was going to make Abram a father of many nations. That he was going to produce a people for himself. He was calling Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he was going to make a people through his offspring that he would call his own. And so here in verse 11, he says this is how they'll do it. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so then he defines this a little bit more. Who is this going to be upon? Well, it's not just Abram. It's every male. Look at verse 12. From the youngest, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male through your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So God is giving some more detail here concerning those even in Abram's house. Remember, Abram was overseeing hundreds of people at this point, that God had brought not just laborers, but slaves and other uh, socioeconomic things that were happening in that part of the world at that time, that Abram was responsible for many hundreds of people. And God was wanting in this sign of his covenant with him that all who belonged to him would also be identified with this covenant. And so, from the youngest to the oldest, to the slave, to the free, everyone would be circumcised and receive this covenant. In other words, we are under covenant with the living God. In contrast, in a world that was serving pagan deities. It's interesting that this sign of the covenant is not visible. It's visible to the individual, but it wasn't visible to the world. And yet he says here, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Isn't it interesting that this sign is something that's visible to the individual? Similar to how we can see the bow in the clouds and see that God made a sign for all to see, knowing that God had made a covenant with the world that he would never again destroy it by flood, as far as a global flood. God shows his covenant sign for the good of not just those who have made that covenant, but ultimately that he would be the one that is being glorified in the one that has made that covenant. And so this covenant sign makes much, brings much attention again to what God is doing in the midst of his people. And so he continues, and he says in verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off. There's a play on words here. Literally, the cutting of the flesh of the foreskin is not only would bring blood and there would be healing that needed to take place, but that actual skin that was cut off 
was a symbol of that if there was a breaking of this covenant, you too would be broken off, just like the sign of the covenant that you just experienced. It's a picture. It's an illustration of what God is doing. And he says, one that would refuse this has broken my covenant. But notice here that in our fourth point here at the end of this text, this is the very assurance that God's promises were not just true, but that they would come to pass. The sign of the covenant and assurance are tied together. That he can be assured that God is going to do these very things and God has given him this more than the revelation of of, uh, chapter 15 and 16. That God was accomplishing this in him and through him. And notice that comes in the wake of his fleshly decision with Hagar. And so we see that uh, this call to be circumcised was going to be something that God was accomplishing them or in setting them apart and accomplishing his ultimate purposes in them. So with that said, you can imagine the conversations that happened when Abram announced this to his household. He himself is 99. This is a painful surgical procedure that would have put them in a variety of ways in a a lot of danger because they would not have been able to defend themselves or to um, accomplish much work in the days following that. But from the oldest, or from the youngest to the oldest, God was having every male set apart for his purposes and identified with him in covenant. So we see this in the narrative. So what? As God's people, we look at a passage like this and go, okay, understand the signs of the covenant, understand circumcision. Um, you know, we, we understand what God is doing here with Abram. So what? Well, just as Abram was looking forward to what God is accomplishing, so in Christ, church, we see the gospel displayed before us in this passage. It's awesome that we think about this in the the context of looking to Christ and continuing in him despite when we see it doesn't seem to be working, Lord. You say that you're coming back. Where have you been for 2,000 years? You say that you're sanctifying us, but we live in a world of unclean people. We're constantly tempted. We're constantly distracted. Lord, we want to see your gospel advance, but there's troubles on all fronts to get missionaries to the field, to see the Bible translated. We have a huge task before us. We feel like we're tripping over ourselves. Lord, what are you doing? Well, we are in good hands as we see God working in the midst of Abram's life. So God reminds us through Paul's letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.8. He says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Church, the mission of Christ has not changed. The promise of God has not changed. The fulfillment of the promises to Abram are continuing in our generation. That every time someone comes to know Christ, it's an addition to that faith family that God was bringing out and telling Abram would be his offspring. 
it's not just of the flesh. It's ultimately of the Spirit. And we see this in context of the New Testament. So turn over with me real quickly to Galatians. Paul brings this out and reminds us that these are uh, allegorical ways of really seeing uh, Genesis being interpreted, which is important for us to see because God is speaking and we ought to be listening as his people. He reminds us here that um, as he is, the, the overall uh, context of Galatians is that many Jews were returning to the, the law as their hope or as their uh, ability to be uh, justified before God. And Peter opposes them and restores them. And he tells them even in chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, why, who has bewitched you that you would go back to these ways? And, and it's foolish. And yet he reminds them that God is going to do this, and he's going to do this in a way that is revealing his work amongst them. And so look at chapter 4 in verse 21. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you, uh, do, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abram had two sons, one of a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Remember that they're trusting God for this promised child, and that was Isaac, not Ishmael. Ishmael's of the flesh. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. So this is Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, helping us to understand this interpretation of even the very words that we're reading in Genesis. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Now, not to, to get lost in this, because we don't have time to exposit this this morning, but to see by definition what Paul is saying, he brings them uh, back to the Old Testament. He says, for it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Speaking of Sarah's barrenness. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those who, uh, of the one who has a husband. And so he defines this in verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And he goes on in chapter 5, which we don't have time to look at again, is that Christ has set us free and we're not to be submitted again to a yoke of slavery, which in the ultimate context of Galatians is don't return to the works of the flesh in trying to be perfected before, the, um, before God by the law, but ultimately look to Christ who, and what he has accomplished in his perfect work through the covenant ultimately we have seen in Christ. So bringing that back to the context of what we're looking at, Christ has appeared to us. He came in the flesh. We don't have to wait anymore to come to him that we might have life. 
God has not hidden himself. He has made himself known to us in these last days through his son, as Hebrews 1 says. God has made himself uh, very clear in bringing forth the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are not right with this holy God. And so these covenants that could not accomplish what God was ultimately going to do in his son, it simply pointed to him as a shadow, as a future of what God would ultimately accomplish through Christ on the cross. And that is the truth this morning, that we are not in right relationship to God in our own selves. God has to show up. He has to appear. And he did in these last days in his son. And what did he reveal? That ultimately, by his words and works, that he himself was that promised seed that was promised in Genesis 3.15. That God and God alone is the one who is able to justify mankind. But how is he able to justify? He can only justify when his holiness is upheld, that sin is dealt with, and he is able to reconcile, and so therefore a need for a mediator. And that mediator between God and man is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all God and all man. He, in his uh, obedience to the Lord, satisfied the very wrath of God and his holiness, and yet at the same time stood with sinners and laid himself as a substitutionary atonement for them and all that would look to him in faith. Are you looking to Christ by faith. We know that in the context of this great covenant, and really what we're celebrating the Lord's table this morning, is a picture of covenant. We also should not find ourselves so foreign. And the sign of the covenant is, is not a circumcision any longer, as we see that Paul argues in Galatians. And Paul says, I would rather that you be cut off. He used that same terminology to uh, really, uh, in a sarcastic way, to say, are we truly going to be made perfect through the flesh? Do you understand that getting close to God by reading his word and, and trying to pursue him will not make you righteous? Your works are like filthy rags. It is God's work and what he's accomplished through Christ that makes you right with him. And so what is the way that that is accounted to us as righteousness? Well, we see this in the life of Abram. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. It is not your work. In fact, the faith itself we know from the book of Ephesians is a gift from God that we are able to look to him in faith and he does his regenerating work in us. What a glorious truth that these aren't words that are thousands of years old that we just look at in a historical context, but they're near to us. They're so close to us that they're in this room that God is displaying his covenant kindness to us, his people, and he's calling those who are outside of that covenant to come, all who are willing and heavy laden, that I could be that rest for your soul. He wants more. He's continuing that work, and he's calling us to go and share this very gospel. And so God's appearing to us. Abram's response is recorded for us here. What is our response? Are we prostrate before the Lord? Are we responding to him in worship? You think about the covenant terms that we have in Christ in context to Christ. We see that his covenant terms are ultimately that we come 
empty-handed to him, and we look to him by faith and see what he's accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. And finally, what is the assurance? What is the assurance that we are in him ultimately, that his spirit is working in us, that he is the one that is working these things in and through our lives to make us more like him, to call us to himself, to work in us that which we could not do. And that is that he is making himself known. And so this morning, as you look at this text, don't let it be to you a text that is old and unhelpful, but ultimately that God is working in and through this text to remind us of a greater covenant yet to come, a greater covenant that would be with his people. And regardless whether you're eight days old or 99, God is calling you to repentance and faith this morning. He calls all of us to continue in repentance and faith. And so there's one response to this sermon this morning is to look to Christ in faith and repentance, whether that's your first time or your 99th time. So look at this text and be encouraged this morning that we have connection to our Lord Jesus Christ through covenants, uh, through the covenant that he cut ultimately on the cross in shedding his own blood and laid down his life on that cross for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for helping us through this larger text of scripture this morning. Lord, we're encouraged in our souls that you are not just a God of an ancient book, that you aren't merely on a page in black and white, you are El Shaddai. You are God Almighty. That you are not a God who is weary or sleeping. You are very much alive. And you work in and through your people. You work in and through the proclamation of your word, calling us to yourself. Father, we thank you for these words, and we ask that you would help us and that you would apply them as your spirit can only do. The lives of uh, us as believers, if there's one here this morning that has never come to you and surrendered and uh, repented of their sin, oh Lord, if you're working in that heart, Lord, would you comfort and by your grace justify them as only you can, as they look to you in faith, as they look to you in, for their hope, and that, Lord, you would answer. As you say that all who call upon your name shall be saved, because it's a work that you're doing and that you will accomplish. And just as we see the assurance that you gave Abram that these things would come to pass, so we are assured this morning that you are going to accomplish this work in us and through us. So, Lord, help us in our time of waiting, and perhaps that falls in our ears in different ways, from suffering that we're having in our lives to wanting you to answer a certain way, to just waiting on you and for your return, to other physical answers that we look for in our lives. Would you help us to more closely trust you, that we might be more like you? Lord, as we prepare our hearts to continue worshiping through coming to your table, would you remind us of what these elements are and what they represent in our covenant with you in Christ? And help us, Lord, to take inventory, bring us a soberness of spirit 
about the great joys it is to be called your children. And so help us in these moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.